Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Garrett Post. And I'm Justin Ruderman. And we have yet another packed episode for you all this week, and we can jump straight into it, starting with our game of the week. Of course, Chelsea versus Tottenham at the bridge and a fixture that Spurs just have not had great history in, have they, Justin? No, you're absolutely right. The past 37 games at the bridge for Tottenham Hotspur, they have gotten one win. That was a 3-1 win in April 2018, uh, but... It was, it was a fantastic game again. It lived up to all the billing, right? This was our game of the week for a reason. The Derby, London Derby, fantastic. And it started with an incredible set-piece goal, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Corner whipped in, goes over everyone's head, and Kalidou Koulibaly making his home debut for Chelsea is there with a gorgeous side foot, or outside of the foot, volley rather. Lloris, not a chance of saving it. Just beautiful technique. And he became the first player to score his first Premier League goal for Chelsea in a game against Spurs since one Michael Essien in March 2006. Pretty decent company if you are trying to uh, introduce yourself to the Chelsea faithful, huh? Yeah, absolutely right. Um, But it was just a very dominant first half from Chelsea, wasn't it? Because Koulibaly, including that goal, attempted three shots on target. That's more than the entire Spurs team in that first half, right? It was just complete domination, uh, really, from Chelsea and tactical domination from Tuchel because, you know, he started Loftus-Cheek as a wingback and Reese James as that right center back. It almost looked from the team sheet that it would be a back four. But instead, uh, he pushed Loftus-Cheek as a wingback, which he doesn't really play, obviously, and formed that kind of uh, box midfield with Mount, Jorginho, Conte, and Havertz. And that just pinned Chelsea in because they're playing four against two in the midfield. I mean, sorry, pinned Spurs in because they're playing four against two in the midfield. And that's never going to work out. They just have no ability to play out. Plus, it causes overloads on the right side with uh, uh, Jorginho, Havertz, Loftus-Cheek, and then on the left side with Kukurea, Mount and Sterling it was just so difficult for Spurs in that first half and Chelsea created all the chances but weren't able to finish because they had those overloads in the in the wings but then they would cross central there's nobody there yeah and at halftime Chelsea you know were thoroughly deserving their lead and they deserved more and we said that to each other at halftime Justin we were like this is not great for Chelsea that they've been this dominant and yet they only have a one goal lead. And, you know, Conte made a couple changes uh, for Spurs in the second half and they came to fruition and it was a controversial sequence. Uh, the first of many in this game where, <laughs> you know, basically Kai Havertz gets, uh, gets fouled by Rodrigo Benton Kerr. Um, just a clear tactical foul did not get the ball should have been a, a booking and a free kick to Chelsea. Instead Spurs regained possession about 40 seconds later, the ball comes to Pierre Emil Hoiberg on the edge of the box. Um, and he just lashes a first time strike into the bottom left corner. And then Richarlison was kind of in front of Mendy and was in an offside position. And Tuchel was complaining about that after the game. Um, but you know, even like some goalkeepers like Tim Howard in, his, in the NBC studio um, after the game was saying that he didn't think it was enough for that goal to be overturned but you know the fact that there was the the potential offside and that clear foul in the same sequence which led to a goal obviously Stammer Bridge was not happy about that but then Chelsea would end up getting a second goal finally in the 77th minute through Reese James who you know was playing as a right center back but still just because of Chelsea's territorial dominance was able to push forward um, and just on on a sloppy giveaway he gets fed through, um, you know, so much space, and it was a bit of an awkward finish, kind of right down the middle, but it found its way into the goal. That's all that mattered, and it was his first goal at Stamford Bridge since they beat Juventus 4-0 in the Champions League uh, in November of 2021. So although we think of him as a right back who really is marauding or a right wing back, if you will, who, you know, gets a lot of goals and assists, he hasn't done it that much at Stamford Bridge. Um, so big goal for him, but Justin, that was just the beginning of the drama, wasn't it? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. Those 15 goals in the last 28 appearances uh, for Reese James in the Premier League since the start of last season. Uh, just very, very impressive. Six goals, nine, nine assists. It's the most of any defender. Um, so, you you know, you compare to players like Cancelo and Trent, and he's 
having more goal contributions since the start of last season. Very, very impressive. But you're absolutely right, Garrett. It was the changes from Conte at halftime because he took off Sensignon, who just wasn't having the impact in the game. Obviously, he's an attacking fullback that likes to get very far forward when he's getting pinned back on his own defensive half. He's not going to have the impact that you would like. So what did he do? He brought on his new signing and one of your favorite players, Richarlison, right? Uh, And that changed formation, essentially, uh, because... So Richarlison is obviously not a wing back and he didn't play as a wing back. He went basically up top with Harry Kane, uh, which made basically like this four, two, two, two kind of idea um, with Kulisevsky and son as the wide men. And it, it, but it centralized everything. Uh, And I think that is what worked really, really well. And then, as you say, Reese James got to go forward because Aspilicueta was subbed in for Jorginho after he was at fault uh, giving the ball away in, in that sequence for the goal. Um, and so he was immediately subbed out after that very poor pass or idea of a pass. Uh, right. And as Bilicueta comes in, right? And so then we get back into the really Tuchel uh, back five with Reese James as the uh, wing, right wing back and gets back to true Chelsea ideas. Uh, and that creates the goal for Reese James. And then Justin Spurs got a bit more on the front foot. It looked like Chelsea were going to end up seeing the game out. But then in stoppage time, all hell broke loose. There's a series of corners for Spurs, um, one of which Ben Davies got a pretty good head to and Edward Mendy had to tip it over. But during that play, there was a very clear just yank of Cucarella's hair by Christian Romero, just a dirty play. Um, should have been a foul at least, if not a red card. VAR did look at it and decided not to give a red, which I personally think it should have been. Uh, the fact of the matter is that VAR can't tell Anthony Taylor to give a foul that VAR that's not within its powers. So Anthony Taylor would have had to give in a foul himself. Obviously, there is no foul called. There is no red card called. Spurs get another corner and Harry Kane heads it in. So even more just controversy and bedlam and Anthony Taylor had a very poor game overall. Um, you know, some of his decisions, this one was just another example. And although, you know, it didn't directly lead to the goal in terms of the fact that Chelsea should still be able to defend a corner in the 96th minute, you know, when they, when they're about to win the game and and they didn't, but I mean, it was a clear foul and that, that second corner never should have been taken. Oh, you're absolutely right. I think that's exactly the perspective I come at it from as well, because well, Anthony Taylor has to make these calls. And there was a petition from Chelsea fans that got 10,000 signatures in about an hour after the game saying he should not be reffing games anymore. They were so upset. Uh, Tuchel, I think it's up to, I think it's up to 85,000 at the time of recording. Wow. Yeah. That's very impressive from the Chelsea fan base, but they are not happy (laughs) regarding Tuchel wasn't happy either. Was he? I mean, he, he was fuming saying neither of those goals should be counted and he's right. But as you say, neither of the fouls, had an impact on Chelsea's inability to defend. They were separate uh, incidents. And while they were in the same play, essentially one, you know, within the same uh, play and one from the preceding corner, it's still up to Chelsea to be able to defend this. And they should have been able to defend this. So while the goals maybe should not have counted, uh, it's still Chelsea with, with poor defense. And with that goal, by the way, Garrett, Harry Kane has now scored 184 Premier League goals for Tottenham Hotspur. That is the joint most a player has scored for a single Premier League club uh, with Sergio Aguero, who also has 184 for Manchester City. So Harry Kane is about to pass him with his next goal. It will be uh, very exciting. And another interesting stat, I thought, uh, was Conte. Since Conte has taken over Tottenham Hotspur, Only Liverpool, with 19 points, have picked up more points from losing positions in the Premier League than Tottenham. So Conte may not be starting games well, but he's finding the tactical adjustments to get his team back into games and getting points from losing positions. Yeah, and as you say, Justin, the fouls, just going back to that before we move on, the fouls didn't change Chelsea's ability inability to defend, and they also didn't change Chelsea's inability to finish because they should have had more goals. And, you know, the fact that they were only leading by one and then, you know, Spurs get one 
goal, you know, not a lucky, a very good strike by Hoiberg, but they get one goal and all of a sudden the game's tied when Chelsea have dominated 99% of the game up to that point. But, you know, 16 shots, they only put three on target. I think of Reese James having that just amazing ball in a few minutes before he ended up getting that second for Chelsea and Kai Havertz somehow missing. I, I still don't understand it. It's the same old problems for Chelsea, is it not? They have good buildup. They have good midfielders. They can possess the ball. They can press but they lack a cutting edge and they lack someone who is clinical and can actually take advantage of the chances that they create. Because if they're playing anyone other than Liverpool or city, pretty much there's a very good chance that they're going to dominate the game. And, but they just, they don't convert. They don't take advantage of the opportunities that they fashion. Yeah, absolutely. Ironically, Lukaku probably would have finished a few chances in that first half had he been starting at that nine, because it was just, there was nobody in that box to finish. As you say, uh, but speaking of teams with continued problems, Manchester United, Garrett, got absolutely battered by Brentford 4-0. I really just don't even know what to say about this anymore. Brentford are the third side to score four goals against Manchester United in the first half of a Premier League game. Uh, and those have all happened in the past couple years. Right. This is with Tottenham in October 2020, Liverpool October 2021. And now we see it in 2022. So three straight years we've seen this happen when it's just the United downfall. I mean, what can you even say uh, with United? They finished the day bottom of the Premier League table, Garrett, for the first time ever since 1992. But Manchester United are bottom of the Premier League table. I mean, what do you say about that? Yeah. I mean, the first time since. You know, basically the second week of the first ever Premier League season. That's how long it's been. But I mean, this is just a story, Justin, of a smart club beating a dumb club. And it makes me think of Brighton because <laughs> the exact the exact same thing happened last year. I mean, it wasn't all in the first half, but Brighton beat United 4-0 at the MX, right? And United or Brentford and Brighton, what do they have in common? They are two of the most well-run clubs in the league. They don't have massive budgets. They don't have master transfer spendage or huge global fan bases or this or that or 76,000-seater stadiums, right? But they are smart, and they spend their money wisely. They have very good recruitment. They have an identity and they have a formula and a plan more than just the next three months of how they want to build their club and improve. And that's how both of these teams have gone from being in the championship to now relatively, you know, more so in Brighton's case, but established Premier League clubs, right? Meanwhile, United is just a mess because their squad is just an amalgamation of random big money transfers from a bunch of different managers, none of whom had an actual vision of how United were to rebuild themselves. They have made no good hirings in their front office, which honestly is the most important part. Like, obviously, recruiting good players is important, but the Glazers recruiting good people to actually run their club is where they've fallen short. They've had no success in the director of football. They've had, you know, no ability to plan beyond, you know, the next four months. How do we keep the fans happy instead of, you know, what do we do in three years and five years to get ourselves back to the top? Like, you know, other clubs such as Liverpool, for example, when Jurgen Klopp came in and they gave themselves a time period of here's how we're going to get to the top and they did it. And United can't do that. They have not done that. And it's the same old thing over and over. So do I see this changing anytime soon unless there's systemic change top to bottom at United? Not at all. Wow. And it's about desire too, isn't it? Because Brentford, I believe, outran Manchester United in this game by over eight kilometers, uh, I think Ten Hag in training today made them run that same amount uh, extra in their training to to prove to them, this is why you're not winning. If you're not running as much as a team who is meant to be much worse than you, they're just going to outwork you. And that seems to me what happened in this game. I mean, we know that uh, just the, the back line was shaky. Fred and Erickson together uh, didn't look great. Um, but De Gea, just, man, oh, yeah. Obviously, it's De Gea. I, I'm one to back De Gea. Um, I think he's a, still a very good uh, goalkeeper, and I think he's you know a Manchester United legend. Obviously, but obviously, yeah, those first two were complete howlers and his fault. Um, but 
there's there there's more to the game than just those howlers like they deserve to lose regardless uh, of those two mistakes from De Gea, right? Yeah. And my question for you, Justin, is how much of this do you think does fall on Ten Hog? Like, are you going to not blame him at all? Are you going to give him, you know, a solid 50-50? How much do you think, you know, United fans or, or the hierarchy should be already questioning Ten Hog based on this result, which is just plain and simple, one of the worst in the history of Manchester United? I don't think it's Ten Hog's fault yet. Because you look at the team. Who did he bring in? Lissandra Martinez and Erickson. Everybody was else horrible, in that team. horrible, by the way. Martinez, who, Martinez was very bad. I mean, you put him up against Ivan Tony. What are, he's not going to do well. Exactly. So don't play him there. I agree. I mean, you, Erickson, you Erickson, have Iran on the bench. Erickson was completely out of the game as well. Very poor yeah. also. So the two signings that we're supposed to add to the team, I mean, it's just that – they haven't spent very much. I expected United to spend a lot more. And it's also that Ten Hag is trying to implement tactics that are not good for this team. And it's not that it's Ten Hag shouldn't be doing that. It's that there needs to be new players because that is the idea of bringing Ten Hag is to bring his tactics. But Fred cannot play that. Maguire cannot play that. Uh, Dallo, Shaw, I don't know, maybe. Bruno is struggling, it seems to me. But you need a defensive midfielder to be able to distribute in that Ten Hog system. And until that is there, this team will not be able to work well. Yeah. And just, you know, looking at personnel decisions by Ten Hog, obviously Brentford took their foot off the gas in the second half. But notice how Ten Hog brought Varane on at halftime and Brentford didn't really have many chances after that, right? Of course, when you have Ivan Tony against a five foot nine center back or whatever Martinez is, he's going to get bullied. And that Ben Mee goal was him getting bullied. I mean, yeah, I just, I agree. I don't think you can blame too much of this on Ten Hog. I think maybe there's some naivety um, on Ten Hog's part of thinking that mm. these players can actually execute the game plan that he wants. And I still think that if he has the correct players and the proper time and drilling, that Ten Hag's plan could work very well. We've seen that his football is good football and it can work at the highest level. We saw that with Ajax. But, you know, trying to do it this early and, and with some of these players, yeah, it's just not going to work. Um, but, you know, a lot of people have been saying it's going to get worse for United before it gets better. But, Justin, you know what's one team that's been looking a lot better? Arsenal. They have, and in particular, one player that everybody uh, was excited about in preseason and is now the new focus of Arsenal Football Club. It is Gabriel Jesus. He had an incredible game, obviously, involved in all four goals with two goals and two assists. Uh, I mean, what can you say besides a 10 out of 10 performance from Gabriel Jesus? Except, was it? Because he could have had four, couldn't he? Oh, he could have had five, probably. He he bottled the hat trick, quite honestly. But, you know, we'll give him a pass because of how good he was overall in the game. Um, and, and the fact that he had even more opportunities, it's not like he had two goals because he was clinical. He had two goals because he was just in the right place at the right time. He was making the right runs. He was in sync with his teammates. I mean, we've been talking about, Justin, how good he looked in preseason. And, you know, sometimes that carries over and sometimes that doesn't. But we were spot on on thinking that he would have a great season. And even though it's two weeks in, I don't think that it's too early to say that because he just looks so, so good. And Arsenal looks so just dangerous and brutal in attack with him up there and the interplay that they have. And it's so interesting that, you know, he is a focal point, but not in, you know, your traditional kind of way, not in your... Calvert-Lewin or Holland or, or a player of that ilk, right? And we talked about how he struggled to be a number nine in Pep's system, but Arteta is really getting the best out of him and, and building the attack around him. This was the missing piece to Arteta's puzzle. Obviously, there's other ways that they can improve. Conceding two goals to Leicester, they were some cheap goals, to be honest. But overall, I mean, I think Arsenal are going to be a very, very good team this season. And definitely a time to be excited if you're a Gunners fan yeah absolutely it's exactly what you say Garrett that uh position that he's playing we we thought okay well if you would have brought in a player like Dominic Calvert-Lewin who can be that true number nine that uh fox in the box that will win headers and finish clinically Gabriel Jesus is not that but he fits 
this Arteta system so much better. Obviously, Arteta knew what he was doing, signing Gabriel Jesus. He can float into the left side. He can float into the right side. He can create those overloads with Martinelli, Saka. Xhaka is pushing really, really high, impressing me a lot in these first two games. Somebody who gets a lot of hate but has been playing very well, in my opinion. Uh, Zinchenko, obviously, his involvement uh, pushing forward and White on the other side doing, you know, kind of that Kyle Walker-esque job. But it's it's similar tactics to what City are doing. And what Jesus is doing up top is, uh, as you said, better than anything I think he's gotten uh, at City. Obviously, much, much smaller sample size. But his ability to just drift and create those overloads, um, you know, you you push Xhaka, uh, Martinelli, Odegaard, Jesus, Zinchenko, all on the left side. You can do it on the right side with the uh, similar idea, right? It's just so difficult, and it's been working for Arsenal. I can't wait to keep watching them. And then, Justin, we can look at another team who made a lot of quality signings this summer, at least in our opinion, and that is Leeds, right? And their new signings got off to a good start last week when you think about Tyler Adams' performance and Brennan Aronson scoring that phantom goal. But this week, Justin, they were cruising at the St. Mary's stadium against Southampton, two goals through Rodrigo, who has actually really impressed me so far this season playing in the 10 behind Patrick Bamford, but they were unable to hold on. And it was Joe Arebo for Southampton, another new signing making an impact in the Premier league who got them within one and Kyle Walker Peters with a lovely finish to make it two two. What were your takeaways from this one, Justin? Yeah, it's, it's really frustrating to me because it it looks bad on Jesse Marsh, especially because, uh, you know, he didn't make any substitutions. It was the three substitutions uh, in the 61st, 70th minute from uh, Southampton and, and Hassenhudel that changed the game. Aribo on, Armstrong on. And so uh, Aribo got the goal. Armstrong got the assist in the 72nd. And then it changed. And so even in that 10 minutes, uh, Marsh didn't make any changes until after Kyle Walker-Peters scored. Then he makes those three changes uh, late on in the game. Maybe if he makes those earlier, Leeds are able to hold on to the result. Um, I think we know that these are both two teams that are in a relegation battle, though, so I don't think a draw is necessarily too surprising. But yeah, Rodrigo, as you mentioned, very good game. Just unfortunate Leeds could not hold on. Yeah, I think it's definitely two points dropped for Leeds. Southampton will be happy with the character they showed to fight back after, you know, rolling over and dying at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium last week, essentially. So definitely an encouraging result for them. Um, Not so much in the performance, but just in in the resilience and character that they showed, Justin. And then talking about, uh, wow, man, incredible performance from Nottingham Forest. You have to say the first game at the city ground, Uh, in the Premier League since 1999, Justin, against West Ham, uh, who obviously didn't get off to the greatest start against City last week, but a team who, in general, the last couple of seasons have been very good. uh, And and Forrest just found a way to win this game. Yeah, they absolutely did. And it means that all three promoted sides have gotten big results in this first opening weekend. Obviously, Bournemouth beating Villa, Fulham getting the draw against Liverpool. And now this result for Nottingham Forest against West Ham, it just shows to me how good the Premier League is from top to bottom. But as far as Nottingham Forest, I mean, I like it, right? Beating a West Ham, who's a team that everyone is sure going to finish top half, right? I predicted Forest 14th, looking good by this result. But I know for you, Garrett, the focus is Steve Cooper, who you think is a fantastic manager. And this stat proves it. Since the first game in charge of Nottingham Forest in September 2020, 21 only Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp the two best managers in the world have won more league games in the top two tiers of English football uh excluding the the playoffs than Steve Cooper I mean that is absolutely incredible isn't it to put yourself in the category with those two yeah I mean obviously there's there's more games in the championship but the fact of the matter is that Steve Cooper took this team from being you know flirting with relegation in the championship to now being a team that looks like they could be on their way to safety in the Premier League. And I mean, this is a remarkable thing for him to achieve. I personally think he will go down as like a Forest Club legend by the time all is said and done, because as much as you know, you Mm -hmm. had your Brian Clough's and Forest winning the European Cup twice in the 70s and all this and that, and they were such a successful club. The fact of the matter is that they've been out of this league for 23 years 
years. And who was the man who could get them back up? It's it's like Bielsa at Leeds, but almost to an even greater extent that Steve Cooper was able to turn this around. Um, and obviously they've made a bajillion signings and a few of which we will talk about later. Um, so I, I think as long as Cooper can get the team to perform right away, you know, obviously there might be some gelling period, but this result kind of shows that, you know, they're definitely going to be in with a shout of, of finishing even mid table above the relegation battle because they managed to pull off this result before making all of these really quality signings. And I think it just shows you exactly how good of a manager Steve Cooper is. I think he deserves a lot of credit for the job that he's done at forest. Yeah, it will be a fun one to keep our eye on the rest of the season. But another shocking result, after drawing to Fulham in week one, Liverpool went home to Anfield to host Crystal Palace, and they drew again, Garrett. 1-1. Once again, uh, it was Zaha getting the goal for Palace, but he should have had more, shouldn't he? I mean, they could have easily won this game if Zaha were able to finish uh, more of his chances. Uh I, he is the first Crystal Palace player to score in two different league matches uh, against Liverpool at Anfield, though. So interesting one there. But with 10 men for a lot of the game after Darwin Nunez gets sent off for a just idiotic headbutt, right? I, the question for a lot of people was, is his quality up to the Premier League? Now I think the question becomes, is his mentality up to the Premier League? Well, you could say quality too, Justin, because he missed a, a pretty bad opportunity in the first half. He was unmarked at the back post, completely shanked a, a volley, which you know was a little bit difficult. But when you're spending that kind of money on a striker, you expect him to at least be able to put that on target. But to be honest, I, I feel like Liverpool, like you know, they had territorial dominance, but they just really didn't take advantage of it. I didn't think Guaita was that troubled, other than the Luis Diaz screamer, which is what ended up bailing them out. But you're totally right. Zaha should have had a hat trick in this game, to be honest. If he was at his best, um, there was the the one at the back post where he went with the outside of his right instead of using his left, clanks yeah. it off the post. And then uh, just a few minutes later, he had a perfect opportunity to hit one first time from about 14 yards, um, see if Allison could keep it out. Instead, takes a first touch and runs straight into Van Dyke for no reason. So I think, honestly, as huh. much as as much as Liverpool are, are you know, um, it, they struggled, you know, and, and they, they've only gotten two points from the first two games. They easily could have lost this game, um, and, and they should be, I, I guess, a bit happy that they didn't because they probably deserve to, in my opinion, despite the, the dominance. Although the one thing I would say is that Palace really did not take advantage of the fact that Liverpool were down to 10 men for such a significant part of the second half, most of the second half. And, and I think they should have been a bit more adventurous especially after Luis Diaz scored, right? They were protecting the 1-0. That's all well and good. Luis Diaz scores a screamer. Not much you can do about it. Then they should have gone for it, and they had the couple Zaha chances. But other than that, they still were so happy to let Liverpool have the ball, and I just don't think that was uh, the, the right decision from Vieira. I think he should have gone for it because they deserved to win this game, and they didn't get what they deserved. But from a Liverpool perspective, I mean, you've got to be a bit concerned. Obviously, having Nat Phillips at the back didn't help. Um, but they just don't look the monster that they have the last few years. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it is surprising uh, on that Vieira point because, you know, conceding 73% possession is not what Vieira wants to do. That's not how he likes to play. Um, he doesn't like to sit back. He he's, wants to play an entertaining brand of football, but he did decide to sit back. And as you say, it worked. I mean, they didn't. Uh, allow a ton of chances for Liverpool um but just just dominated possession of course they I the 24 shots that Liverpool had only four of those on target so it's the defensive work that was really really there uh absolutely but I think as you said the game was there to be won uh for Crystal Palace uh but the question I simply have to you Gary is are we still going to have a title race this season it's a good question. I mean, the thing is that we just can't judge it too early. It's really like the middle of the season, which is when we start figuring out what the title race is really going to look like. I mean, if you remember last year, Chelsea were, you know, well in the title race at the top of the table in like December before they started dropping off. And then there was one point where City had a huge gap and it looked like the title race was over. It obviously wasn't. And if it weren't for Rodri getting away with a handball at Goodison Park, Liverpool might have won the title um, along with, you know, a miraculous comeback at the Etihad that, you know, was kind of a big deal anyway. 
the point is that I don't think we can make I don't think we can make a judgment at this point. Um, obviously, Liverpool do not want to give themselves a ton of ground to make up like last year. Um, you know, City did slip up in the middle of the season. I don't know if they'll do that again. I I doubt it to be honest. So unless Liverpool get their act together, there might not be a, a title race. But at this point, it's too early to say. Yeah, fair enough. And we did have one other big game that was not in the Premier League, but it was the UEFA Super Cup. Uh, Real Madrid against Eintracht Frankfurt. Real Madrid in this game were the first Champions League winner to name the same same starting 11 uh, from the final in the Champions League and the UEFA Super Cup uh, So since 2006. So it was a very, very good lineup from Madrid. They dominated the game 1-2-0. I don't think there needs to be much said about that, really. Nope. Deserved win. Still one of the best teams in the world. Kareem Benzema still doing Kareem Benzema things. Um, and, and yeah, Madrid still looking really good. I think La, La Liga is going to be really interesting this year because as much as people want to think that Madrid are still well clear of Barca, and I think they probably are still going to win La Liga, just these signings that Barca have gotten and have now you know been able to actually register are going to be so fascinating. And I can't wait, Justin, to be at Camp now in just a couple of weeks' time. Going to be super, super fun to see all those players. And I think you know we might have a, a title race in La Liga this year, but... You know, Real Madrid know how to win finals. They know how to win tournaments. It's nothing new, is it? Yeah, both teams uh, in La Liga starting slow, having some some struggles in the first match. Obviously, Real Madrid are able to find that win thanks to David Alaba against promoted Almeria, but uh, Barca drawing nil-nil in that first game. So struggles there early on, maybe a little sputtering start, but I think we'll get a good uh, race as well, Garrett. Uh, with that, though, we can move to a bunch of uh, transfers. We these these episodes keep being packed with transfers because even though the season has started, Garrett, the transfer window is still booming, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And and now that teams have played a couple games, they're starting to really see okay, what are the holes in our squad and how can we improve them? Um, and, and we can start Justin with the team that smacked up United on Sunday. It was uh, or sorry on Saturday, Brentford. Picking up a new creator. Obviously, they lost Erickson to United. Uh, the Brentford fans were definitely uh, not shy to let Erickson know what they thought about him leaving. Um, but they've found a new Dane to replace him, Justin, haven't they? <laughs> Mikkel Damsgaard from Sampdoria um, can play as a left winger or a 10 or even an 8. He, he was fantastic in the Euros for Denmark last year, wasn't he? Scored that incredible free kick against England. Um, and this seems like a really good deal for them. Only 15 million euros contract until 2027. I mean, I think this is going to be a really good signing for them. And as I said, Smart Club, it's yet another really good pickup. A 22-year-old with a ton of potential. Uh, for a relatively low fee, really good business. Yeah, I think you're spot on with all of that. I mean, that fee of 15 million euros, I mean, you see a fee of double that or 35, 40, you don't even blink at it. You you think it's normal for a player at 22 years old with the upside that Mikel Damsgaard has. Uh, I think it's a very, very good replacement to Ericsson, as you mentioned. And I, there's nothing negative about this mood. I absolutely love it from Brentford. And then, Justin, I'd love to hear about your thoughts on Sergio Gomez from Anderlecht, the left back, the signing for City, obviously lost out. Well, not lost out, but refused to pay uh, what Brighton were demanding for Cucurella. You know, Chelsea, as we talked about last week, didn't refuse it for some <laughs> reason. But City have signed a left back. Um, it's 11 million pounds up to about 17 with incentives and a sell on. Uh, and at first, Justin, it seemed like he might be going out on loan to Girona, which is part of City Football Group, of course. But as of now, he is staying with the squad. Uh, what do you think about this transfer? Do you think he's good enough to to hold down a, a role in City's team? Yeah, well, I think that is the question, right? I didn't watch a ton of Anderlecht last season. I actually did watch a couple games, but I don't know, honestly, if he's ready for Manchester City. I think that's the question we're going to find out. Um, as a City fan, I would have liked to see somebody more established with a higher pedigree to bring in uh, because it's such an important position uh, to strengthen for Manchester City. But we'll see. And we know he played under company last season. So Pep gave him a call and asked company straight up, do you think he is ready to be in the Manchester City first team? You know what it is under me. Do you think he's ready to do it? 
and company said, I think he is. That's the decision that Manchester City have made. He will be the backup left back going into this season. Uh, and I City aren't going to sign another one. So we will see. But a team that is signing a bunch of players, Garrett, as you alluded to earlier, it is Nottingham Forest. They have racked it up now to 16 signings on the season with four coming this week. They are Remo Fueller from Atalanta to Nottingham Forest for $9 million. Uh, he's an eight, but he can play anywhere in midfield. Uh, Cheka Kuyate from Crystal Palace on a free. The CDM can also play center back. Emmanuel Dennis, I think, is the big one. Uh, a striker can also play winger from Watford to Nottingham Forest for around £20 million on a four-year contract. Neil Malpe as well, another striker from Brighton to Nottingham Forest. That will be about 15 million euros, another four-year contract. They are just building this squad, Garrett, aren't they? A team that you mentioned is a huge team in England, but they need to stay in the Premier League because of that. And so they need to make sure that they invest. And that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, this is some fantastic business. Um, Emmanuel Dennis is the name that sticks out to me. He was a player I really wanted Everton to sign this summer, and I've done a good amount of digging in his numbers. And overall, I think he was fantastic last season for Watford. I mean, that team was dreadful. He had 10 goals and six assists in that team, Justin. Combined with the versatility and and just how poor the rest of the team was around him, that's really incredible production. And his underlying numbers also back that fact. It wasn't just a fluke. He's a very good player. I think this is a great signing for Forrest. And when you think about, they have Awani, they have Lingard. Now they have Malpai from Brighton, who, although we know ha- has failed to you know be super clinical in years past, makes really good runs, has good movement, is good on the ball, good technical player. Um, and so I think that's a really intriguing signing as well. And they now have a plethora of options up top. Um, I, I, I'm still a little bit hesitant about their back line. I think Niakate uh, could be a decent signing from the Bundesliga from Frankfurt, I believe. Um, and Koyate, I think he's going to be a bit of a non-factor personally. He's already 32, way past his best at this point. But Freuler, I think, is a really interesting signing because, you know, he's an experienced player, a little bit older. He's not going to have much sell-on, not like they're paying much for him. But, you know, he was a very big part of, you know, just that incredible success Atalanta was having in Europe and in Serie A the last couple of years. They've dropped off a little bit, but I think he's a really good experienced player to bring into this side. And I think Steve Cooper, if anyone's going to get the best out of this squad, it's going to be him. So, yeah, I think Forest fans should be really excited. I put them just barely surviving, but I'm definitely rethinking that at the moment because with the quality and the manager and the fortress that is the city ground that Forest all possess, um, I think they could end up having a pretty good year. Yeah, I had them in 14th, and I love that they're just spending, spending, spending. That's exactly what I would hope. Uh, as you say, Dennis uh, and Malpe up top with Lingard behind them is exactly what Forrest needed because the question was, where are these gonna, goals going to come from? It can't just be Lingard. Uh, we know uh, Awiniwi, or however you pronounce it, uh, scored the goal um, at the weekend to get the win against West Ham, and that's great. But if you can have him as well as Dennis and Malpe, you have a rotation in your front two striker positions that can compete in the Premier League. I think it is massive for Nottingham Forest. And then, Justin, the biggest deal of the week, a club record signing for Portugal FC. I mean, Wolves signing Mateus Nunez from Sporting Lisbon. And to be fair, although you know they do sign a ridiculous amount of Portuguese players, sometimes seemingly for no reason, <clears throat> Fabio Silva, this seems like a really, really good signing. Um, you know, people have been very, very high on Nunez as a center mid prospect. Pep Guardiola calling him one of the best in the world uh, not too long ago. And they're spending a lot of money, Justin, 45 million euros with a potential 5 million euros in add-ons. Um, there's differing reports about whether personal terms have, have been agreed. Nico Shira says the deal is done uh, and we consider him a very good source. So it seems like this will be done and and official sometime later this week. Um, But man, do you think this might mean that Ruben Neves could be on his way out? Very possible, Garrett. I think that, you know, it's a similar price though, that they would probably be selling Neves for maybe slightly more. Um, 
you would think that they'd be trying to make a profit and turn Neves into a couple players, but we'll see. I, I think it's a good signing. Uh, but as you say, we don't know with Wolves. They just signed Portuguese players. And yes, he has looked good uh, for Sporting Lisbon. And the thing to me, though, is that the t- the players from the Portuguese league have adapted really well for the most part uh, into the Premier League, signing after signing. And so that's why I think Matias Nunez probably will as well. Yeah, and I think their midfield looks great. João Moutinho has aged like a fine wine. He's still such a fantastic technical player. If Ruben Neves does stay, I mean, these three, not super defensive, but like they have some very good options in midfield. I still just don't know where the goals come from for Wolves personally. And I think that was their problem last year, right? They didn't have many problems defensively. They didn't concede many goals, but they also just couldn't score. So as much as Mateus Nunez, I think, is a really good player, I just don't see how he solves that problem from midfield other than just chipping with a, a few goals here and there. But I don't see Huang Hee Chan as being a, enough to, you know, really get the goals that they're going to need in order to challenge for the top half anytime soon. Yeah, Nunez is that creator, right? 99th percentile for assists, um, but the goals are not going to come from him. Right. But one player that we hope the goals come from, Justin, is Matthew Hoppy, the American striker moving to Middlesbrough from Mallorca. Uh, and, you know, we he's been a bit on the move quite a bit recently, right? Um, he, he went to Mallorca just a year ago from Schalke on a four-year deal, only made it one year through that before Middlesbrough pick him up. It's a really interesting move, um, obviously linking up with his USMNT teammate, Zach Steffen, um, but it seems like he didn't really get a chance at Mallorca before being moved on, but hopefully he can adapt well to the championship. Yeah, exactly. He he needed this move. Uh, we thought Mallorca was going to be the place, signing that four-year deal, and we were hoping you know, that he could hit the ground running and produce in La Liga, show he should be that nine uh, for the United States men's national team, but five La Liga games, two Copa del Rey games, it's just he wasn't even able to get in the team. So I think Middlesbrough, good spot for him. Uh, English-speaking country, he'll be able to fit in well and adjust to the culture probably more easily, as you mentioned, with Stefan. He'll get the eyes from Burhalter because Burhalter has to watch Middlesbrough games for Stefan anyway. He'll get to see Hoppy as well. Uh, I think it's a good move. I don't know if it's going to get him into the men's national team, though, for the World Cup or anything like that. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it will either, Justin. But with that, we can pivot to the United States domestically. And we can start with, it wasn't, you know, I guess our game of the week, but it was something that we talked about at the end of last episode as being something to watch this week. And it was, of course, the MLS All-Star game in Minnesota playing against Liga Emekis. And, uh, you know, quite an entertaining game, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it started the day before with the skills challenge, uh, again, between the two leagues. Uh, just, you know, a few different competitions. If you watch the NBA skills challenge or anything like that, pretty similar. Uh, it ends though with a crossbar challenge, uh, from, from 18, but then you move back to the midfield and that's where it really matters because they were trying for a while for midfield. I thought Dane St. Clair, the hometown hero hit it about three times, but apparently hit the bar right next to it. Um, not the actual crossbar. It ended up being Hani Mukhtar to win the skills challenge uh, for MLS. Uh, and they won- They ended up winning the All-Star game too, Garrett, as you were saying, for the second year in a row. Last time it was Liga Mekis winning the skills challenge and then MLS winning the All-Star game. MLS won both this time. Uh, it was, again... Carlos Vela and LAFC players, Diego Palacios assisting. It was LAFC players linking for the first goal in the MLS All-Star game again for the second year in a row. Uh, so LAFC dominating MLS, no surprise there. Um, but it was Raul Rui Diaz with the winner from the spot. It's interesting, though, because Seattle Sounders won the first CCL. Now, two years in a row, the All-Star game has been won by MLS over Liga Mekis. We know the commissioner of MLS, Don Garber, has said we very well may not see this same format next season. It might be the last time uh, we ever see MLS versus Liga Mekis in an All-Star game because, to me, MLS has simply surpassed Liga Mekis. Do you agree? 100%, Justin. 100%. I mean, it's just you look at, at 
the quality of players across MLS, top to bottom, even the bad teams in MLS, there's some very good players on those teams. Uh, and then you look at Liga Emekis and it's like, who, who are the biggest names they have in Liga Emekis? A 36-year-old Gignac of Florian Talvin, Newcastle flop, right? I mean, I just think cool. you, Gareth Bale, Chiellini are your LAFC boys, Rui Diaz. We've got even more and more players coming in every single place in this league. Cucho Hernandez, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, obviously, Don't this forget about the first it. The time. Toronto boys, yeah. Oh, yeah, and the Toronto boys, of course, of course. I mean, huge names everywhere, quality everywhere, and the most entertaining league uh, potentially in the world as well, right? So, yeah, I think MLS has passed Liga Amekis 100%. I think Liga Amekis teams will do well to win the CCL going forward, to be honest. I think Seattle will be the first of many MLS teams to win it. Um, so, you know... Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think MLS is clear at this point. And on that point of it being potentially the most entertaining league in the world, we say that because so many goals are scored, Garrett. Seven games on Saturday featured at least five goals. That is the most in a single day in MLS history, breaking the record from, oh, that's right, last Saturday when six games had five plus goals. <laughs> Yeah, just insane, man. Just insane. I guess the the one problem, as as we said last week, is you know there's all these quality attackers coming in, man. GMs, can we sign some defenders, man? Jesus. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that is that is the one thing. The quality of defending in this league has to step up. Um, but we got we got Chiellini at least. Is that something? <laughs> it's like 38 years old or whatever he is. <laughs> but one of those games, Garrett, with not only five goals but seven goals. It was Austin FC with an unbelievable 4-3 comeback win. They become the first MLS team in history to overcome two goal deficits to win three different matches in a single season. Uh, They have now had more wins, three, than losses, two, in matches when they've trailed by multiple goals. They are the comeback kings, and even when they go down, they're winning more than they're losing. Yeah, it's pretty mental, but uh, for some reason, they just have slow starts. It's not like they're doing this against particularly good teams, Justin. I mean, last week, drawing 3-3 against my Earthquakes, who suck, and then this week, (laughs) doing it against Sporting Kansas City, who suck even more. So um, I think as much as this is super fun to see these crazy comebacks and Austin free scoring and this or that, if they don't stop conceding like this, when it gets to playoffs, it's not going to be much fun for them anymore. Yeah, I I think that's it because they're scoring the most goals of any team, even more than LAFC, just slightly. But they are conceding uh, too many goals. I agree with that. And speaking of LAFC, Justin, I mean, you guys are just on an absolute tear with just a battering this week of Charlotte FC. You were, of course, in attendance. Tell me all about it. Yeah, uh, as you say, five goals all goals scored by different players. The distribution in this team, uh, it's now 15 players on the team have scored throughout the season, the most in MLS. It's ridiculous. There wasn't even any bail. There wasn't even any Chiellini. It was no problem. It was complete domination from LAFC from about minute 10 to minute 90. Uh, and the finishing in the first half was poor, particularly from Brian Rodriguez. Uh, the chances weren't being finished, but in the second half, all of those chances were banged in uh, getting the sixth game in a row to win. Uh, it is a franchise record six game winning streak for LAFC. They are also essentially on pace with the 2019 supporter shield winning team. Uh, after this m- many games, uh, they've have 54 points through 24 games in 2019. They had 55 points through 29 or through 24 games. Excuse me. So, very, very close to that record-breaking team, uh, you know, chasing that New England record from last season. Do you think, Garrett, LAFC can be stopped this season? No, I, this isn't fair. You know, I take back what I said about this being the most entertaining league in the world because this isn't fair, man. <laughs> you, you guys are just turning in. You're just being Bayern in like, we're just going to win it 10 years in a row. I mean, you guys have, you're setting all these records. You're scoring all these goals. Bale hasn't even started a game yet. What the hell, man? It's not fair. It's, no, it's ridiculous. And Buanga hasn't... hasn't even stepped foot in the country yet. Like this is ridiculous. 
you're absolutely right. Not only that, we the next game tomorrow or the day that this will be released, Tuesday night, playing the worst team in the league at home in DC United should be another win. Then going next Saturday, Garrett, which we will discuss to San Jose, who, as you mentioned, are are very bad as well. That could extend the Bobacy hat trick incoming. Yeah, we'll see about that. Uh, <laughs> but that would extend the win streak if they were able to win against those poor, two poor teams to eight games, Garrett, which would be the sixth longest win streak in MLS history. That is how rare it is to see teams go on win streaks like this in this league. It's just so hard to keep winning week in, week out. Yeah, it's you know it's basically whoever has the least amount of away games in that stretch is is gonna get it because that's how MLS works, right? It's so hard to win on the road, but you guys have not been having that problem recently. I expect you guys to win both those games. If you guys don't beat us uh, next weekend, game obviously we're gonna go to uh, and and you know gonna be a good time. Well, probably more so for you, but yeah, I expect you guys to continue this tear. You you honestly have no excuse not to with the team that you have and the fact. That you know, Bale and Chiellini, although they didn't play because of load management, quote unquote, uh, you know, I'm sure they'll play, they'll get some minutes in, in each of these games. And then you just look at the rest of the team, it's just, yeah, it's not fair, man. It's it's not fair. Yeah, Bale and Chiellini questionable with load management against DC again tomorrow. Um, but Bale better play on Saturday, man. I swear, he better play. I assume the load management is so that they'll both play in San Jose, but we'll see. But moving from one super club to another, Garrett, Seattle, what is going on with this club? I mean, we both predicted them to finish first in the Western Conference uh, preseason. They are a team that perennially is one of the best in the league, competing for silverware and always making the playoffs, always having that second half surge. But it's not happening. The Sounders have lost seven of their last 10 MLS matches for the first time since May slash June 2016. That, Garrett, was the run that ended with the departure of Ziggy Schmidt. Should Brian Schmetzer be in the hot seat? Man, I don't I don't know. I don't think I don't think so personally. Um yeah, it's a down year. They pretty much haven't been the same. I guess they they had a little bit of an uptick after that they won the CCL, but yeah, they I, I don't I really don't know what's going on with them. They do have a game in hand. So, you know, they they win their next game. They win their game in hand. They'll go up to sixth place. Um, I think they might squeak in. It really depends to me on what kind of input uh, impact Ricky Pooj has on the galaxy, because if I see a team dropping out, I think it'll be them. Um, RSL are just like cockroaches. They refuse to die, even though, you know, they, they just aren't that good, but they, I just feel like they're going to make the playoffs. Um, Nashville just have too much quality, although they have played 26 games. Um, I think if Ricky Pooch can, can turn the galaxy's form around cause they've just been poor recently, then, you know, it's very possible that Seattle don't make the playoffs. My guess is that they will just barely, and then they'll get smacked in the first round. That's what I'm saying. Wow, and these next two games, Garrett, are absolutely massive for them because they do play Galaxy and then Portland, the two teams that are right Ooh. above them that they need to overtake in order to make that playoff spot. Those are going to be entertaining games, man. Looking forward to that. Absolutely. And Garrett, we do love covering the Premier League and MLS, but you were watching PSG at the weekend and you noticed Kylian Mbappe I'll just let you say it because this was unbelievable when you sent me these clips and I, I wasn't watching the game, but after watching these clips, I couldn't agree with you more, Garrett. It, it was simply pathetic behavior, to be honest, from killing Mbappe. Um, PSG won a penalty in the first half. Mbappe steps up and, and it gets saved by the Montpellier goalie. And for the rest of the game, he was throwing a conniption. They won another penalty. Neymar took it and scored it because, you know, if Mbappe missed one 20 minutes ago, he, you know, I guess if you're the director of football, you'd, you'd want to take the penalty again, but like, come on, let Neymar take the pen. You just missed it. He he just needs to get his ego in check. And and then it just got worse and worse in the rest of the game where there's a counterattack. Vitinha has the ball. Mbappe is quite open on the left wing. Um, and, uh, and I do agree that Vitinha should have passed the ball to Mbappe. Instead, he goes to Neymar, who then plays a, an overlap to Hakimi, who's basically through on goal at, at a bad angle. 
But instead of Mbappe making the run and having a tap in when Hakimi squares it across the box and there's no one there, Mbappe just turns around, puts his head down to the ground, is sulking and pouting like a little child because Vitinha didn't pass him the ball and, you know, ends up not being in position because he's sulking like an idiot. And it was pathetic to see, to be honest, Justin, a player making so much money with so much control at the club. You know, they've given him everything they could possibly give him to get him to stay. And this is how he's acting. He's gone from being, you know, a wonder kid who everybody loved to watch play to just now being a headache and a a really unlikable player. And and I don't like seeing it at all. Wow. It's absolutely disappointing from a player who is considered to be, you know, the next Messi right? He is supposed to be the best player in the world uh, for the next 10 years, potentially with, with Erling Holland. So if he's not even putting in the effort, when I saw him, you know, running to the, or not even running, walking, looking the complete opposite way to the other end line, while PSG were on the complete other wing going on a counterattack, it was actually mind blowing to witness. I didn't think that I would ever see a player just completely not try on the pitch. And that's why I saw out of Kylian Mbappe absolutely embarrassing disgraceful yeah but speaking of Messi, garrett uh it was the first time since 2005 that he was not on the 30 man ballon d'or shortlist uh and you know he didn't have a very good season he probably didn't deserve to be on there and i would say our debate of the week is who is going to win the ballon d'or out of that 30 man shortlist but there is no debate it is karim benzema so the Debate I will have, and the question I will ask you, Garrett, is who was snubbed from the 30-man shortlist? Justin, for me, it has to be Thomas Muller. It has to be. Uh, this man, as I said, Jabutino ages like a fine wine. So does this man, Thomas Muller. I mean, last year in the Bundesliga, Justin, 18 assists, 8 goals. What? 18 assists. Yeah, you heard that right. And the crazy thing is that that's one less than he had the year before with 19. I mean, this dude is nuts. One of the most underrated playmakers in the world, potentially of all time. Thomas Muller, incredible, incredible player. And when you look at the rest of the list and some of the players on here, Sebastian Allaire, I don't know about that. Mike Magnon from Milan, I don't know about that. You've got to have Thomas Muller on this list for me. The rest of it, I think, is relatively justified. um, But I know there is one big other player missing, and that is... Rodri. I mean, how do you leave the best defensive midfielder in the world off of your 30-man shortlist? You have Fabinho. No, Rodri's better. You have Casemiro. Had a great season. Rodri was better. Uh, You do not put other defensive midfielders above Rodri in any he was just so unbelievable last season as a city fan i get so upset when he doesn't get the credit that he deserves he was absolutely incredible he was one of the biggest reasons why manchester city won the league last season uh you have players like Riyad Mahrez, João Cancelo, Phil Foden, Phil Foden. Kevin what? De Bruyne all of these manchester city players are getting Bernardo Silva all of these players are getting recognition except for Rodri it's ridiculous give him his credit it it doesn't make any sense like when you think about you know Phil Foden's a great player but when you think about how important Rodri was to City fending off Liverpool's charge and and, you know getting to all those points what was it Rodri was it Foden I mean come on man like how is Rodri not on this list it doesn't make any sense yeah, but it's not even Foden that's my issue. I agree with no, what you're but saying, like, but, but how are you going to have less you're putting important other defensive midfielders there? You're putting other you defensive l- midfielders who are who had a worse season than Rodri. Not that they didn't play well, but if they're the same position even, and they're not as good last season. Yeah, I mean, I'd still say the ones that are on here probably deserve to be on here, in my opinion. I just think it it's you know, how, how are you going to have... Though. How are you going to have less important city players than Rodri, who was, you know, arguably maybe top two or three most important city players last year? I mean, yeah, it, it it's a it's a huge snub. I think Muller and Rodri both have to be on this list personally. Yeah, I and I think agree. Messi and, and personally, I still think Messi should have been on it anyway. Just saying. I think he was, I, I, you know, I think he was better than Allaire. I think he was better than Vlaovic. I think Vlaovic was not very good after going to Juve. Juve finished fifth. I mean, Messi had like 
a nuts in um, assist per minute stat and stuff like, yeah, he didn't score that many goals, but it's because he's the playmaker. His job isn't to score the goals. So no, I, I, I totally agree with what you were saying. Absolutely. Garrett. And then I know that you loved your moment of the week this week. So I'm gonna let you start. Yeah, Justin, it was Burnley who are doing a lot of good things at the moment, right? Hiring company, uh, doubling their possession stat in the span of about 12 seconds, seemingly. <laughs> and now and now they've announced the signing of Nathan Tella from Southampton, the uh, winger. And the video was just, oh, this announcement was hilarious. They based it on the Generation Game, which is a game show from 1971. And basically they have like a list of items you could win on a game show. And they all end with Ella, like Nutella and just a bunch of these other rhymes and then at the end it's Burnley's new signing Nathan Tella and he's like lying there on a couch and it's just hilarious and a lot of people on Twitter were giving it a lot of credit as they should have uh one of the best signing announcements I've seen in a long time so yeah give me a good chuckle and a credit to Burnley's media team job well done yeah, as a Manchester City fan, I wish we had better announcements like this. Everyone was waiting on Holland saying this better be an incredible announcement. It was. It was good announcement with the, you know, the replication of the picture. Um, but that is the best one that City have had probably ever. So step up our game, City. Be like Burnley. <laughs> the first time you've ever said that. <laughs> hey, Burnley are trying to be like us. They're getting company. So learn we can learn the learning can go both ways. <laughs> right. And Justin, what was your moment of the week? My moment of the week had to be Malik Tillman's game winner for Rangers. Rangers were, they they lost the first leg of their Champions League qualifier to Union St. Gilois. I don't know if I even came close to pronouncing that right. But they <laughs> lost 2-0 in the first uh, leg of the Champions League qualifier. In the second leg, in the 79th minute, they had come back and it was 2-2 on aggregate. They were up 2-0 in the match. Malik Tillman. Rose up, got the header in the 79th minute for a 3-0 win. The USMNT midfielder getting a huge moment for Rangers to send them through to the U- to the UEFA Champions League qualifying playoff round. Just fantastic moment for an American and one that deserves to get more spotlight and credit from USMNT fans. The Ibrox effect, isn't it, right? Of course, Rangers turn it around at home. That stadium is incredible. Just incredible fans, right? And uh, great to see a, a new USMNT recruit making an instant impact at his new club. Absolutely, Garrett. And with that, we can talk about our game of the week, Garrett, which we had alluded to earlier, but we are both extremely excited for because we are back together in the same city, back attending a game together, and it is our upper 90 MLS Derby between my Los Angeles football club and your San Jose earthquakes. Okay, Justin, quick score prediction. Are we going 3-0, 4-0, or 5-0? 4-1. Ooh, okay. Think a Bobasi with the goal? I mean, probably. Okay, I'll take a 4-1 to be honest. I feel like it could be a lot worse. Oh, that's rough. You would take that? Uh, I mean, we last season lost like 7-0 on the road to to Seattle. So, you know, I mean, based on your roster and how we're defending at the moment, it could be a lot worse than 4-1. I mean, LFC scored five for the first time all season against Charlotte. So if they do it again. That's honestly surprising. That's honestly surprising. Well, they did. They did it in the cup against Orange County, but not in the league. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this might be number two then. We'll see. <laughs> hey, they might get number two against DC first, and then they'll they'll do three in a row. Yeah, maybe, yeah, number three. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's possible. You know, I've seen crazier things in this league, but I've also seen you know crazier things than the earthquake somehow getting a, a result out of this game. So who knows what's going to happen? It's been a really interesting series between the two teams against each other. Um, you know, we we won like four in a row, but that was when you guys were in you know your downturn. Definitely yeah. not the case anymore. So yeah, I definitely still see a a handy LAFC win. But Justin, the, the really so what's exciting your part about this. Okay, uh, I'll go, I'll go five one to be honest. I wow, think is what okay. I'm, no, 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 no. We'll get, we'll get, we'll get a, a garbage time one. So we'll, 
I think it'll, it'll be, be five, five nil, and then it will five oh, two. Okay, okay, okay. Five, five two. two. So so we'll that would score be so entertaining. Like, like, I hope so. We'll, we'll go we'll go down two nil, and then pull one back to give us like a little bit of hope, and then concede like three more, and then score one in like the 89th minute, and then it'll end five two. You heard the game flow here. <laughs> but uh, Justin, what I was going to say is the most exciting part for me is that this is the first of many games that we will be going to together because we are leaving for England next week, Justin, a week from today as we record this. And, uh, you know, we have so many amazing games uh, scheduled to, to go to. Um, and so next week will be episode 50, Justin. Uh, and a big announcement is that we will have video for the first time. But in order for that to happen, because we are traveling, we are going to have to delay the episode one day till Wednesday. Um, so definitely keep your eye out for that. And then we have so much fun content coming, Justin, including match vlogs and just so much fun content from games in the Premier League and the Champions League. I cannot wait. I can't. I took the words out of my mouth. I, I can't wait. It is going to be absolutely incredible. I've never been to Europe. I've never been to a England. I've never been to a Premier League match. I absolutely cannot wait, Garrett. And I hope that everyone enjoys the content we will bring because it's going to be exciting for all of us. So stay tuned for episode 50 next week. That's crazy to think about, Justin. It's been over a year since we started now. Uh, and and we're just getting ramped up because, you know, these next few months are going to be absolutely incredible. But stay tuned for that. Um, we recommend that you watch that on YouTube, of course, because we will have video and uh, much more to come. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. Those links are in our bio, um, in the link tree or in the description, rather. Um, yeah, so really looking forward to everything we have coming. Uh, thank you all for listening.